Good morning, everybody. So glad you are here. I won't ask for a show of hands, but you know who you are. Those of you who normally come to the 9 o'clock service that showed up at this one because there's some hour issues going on. You should see that 9 o'clock service, man. They are especially dragging. So, um, grace to you. Glad you're here. And uh, we are in the book of Acts, friends. Still plugging along. Uh, we, for those of you, it's your first time or you're new with us. We're preaching through uh, the book of Acts, and it's a book in the Bible, the New Testament, towards the end of the Bible. And so, if you turn there with me. Um, for those of you who don't have a Bible, there's a Bible at the end of uh, several of the rows. Ask a neighbor for one. It's on page 920 of that Bible. And if you don't have a Bible, we have Bibles that you can have if you'll go into the coffee room. We would love for you to take uh, one of those Bibles home. Um, there's no greater gift than the Word of God that we can give you that and hopefully our love and presence that reaffirms what you would read. So we're in Acts chapter 11 and we're going to read verses 19 through 30. That's the the whole passage for today, and so I'm going to read it in its entirety. Uh, Acts chapter 11, verses 19 through 30. The Word of God says this. Now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except the Jews. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists also, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. The report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. And when he came and he saw the grace of God... He was glad. And he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose, because he was a good man that is full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And a great many people were added to the Lord. So Barnabas then went to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. And for a whole year, they met with the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. Now in these days, prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch, and one of them, named Agabus, stood up and foretold by the Spirit that there would be a great famine over all the world. This did take place in the days of Claudius. So the disciples determined everyone, according to his own ability, to send relief to the brothers living in Judea. And they did so, sending it to the elders by the hand of Barnabas and Saul. Let's pray together. Father, we thank You. We thank You for Your precious Word. We thank You that these words are alive words because Your Spirit hovers over them and speaks to us through them. I thank You that Whether we exactly feel you or not, the reality is that you are here. And you are here in a special way because we are gathered together as a people. You are in our midst. And I just pray that we understand that where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. 
And so God, I ask that today you would set free. You would release the bondage to addiction, the bondage to bitterness and revenge. You would release the the inability to tame the tongue and always struggling with anger. And You would release the struggles with anxiety. That God, You would set us free. Free to not look at our trials as the primary thing in our lives, but to look at You as the greatest actor in our lives. To look at You as one of grace and to see You in all Your glory and power. Lord, give us the freedom to see You clearer today. Set us free. I thank You so much that You are here with us. That is our hope. Jesus Christ, Emmanuel, You with us. And for all believers in this room, You've placed Your Spirit within us that we might grow and grow more into that freedom. And for those who don't know Jesus today, I pray, O God, that today would be the day that You give them eyes to see Jesus and truly set them free. So Lord, teach us, I pray. And I ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Now, many of you in this room are believers. You've been changed by Jesus. Some of you are not and don't feel like an outcast. We're so glad you're here. But when it comes to how your life was changed, some of you were changed because you went to some church service similar to this and there was a guy who you might see as a professional who spoke the Word of God and you were changed. The Word of God hit your heart and you were changed. But that isn't the story for everyone. Some of you have the story where an ordinary person spent time to get to know your ordinary life and told you an extraordinary message and your life has never been the same. Some of you, it's a mixture of both. It's a sense of, hey, somebody poured into me here, another person poured into me here, and I just read the Word, and the Word of God changed my life. And some of you, I was in a service, and something changed. Some of you don't even know exactly when you were changed, but you know you love Jesus now, and that's what's important. No matter what it is, it's beautiful when we see ordinary people, quote-unquote, and God does extraordinary change. And that's exactly what we begin to see here in the book of Acts. For the first time, it is explicitly shown to us that this church, now what is growing into the church at Antioch, was planted by ordinary people. They're not even named. Unnamed, ordinary people. People who were persecuted and treated poorly for their faith and therefore thrust out of Jerusalem. And now they find themselves in these multiple places because of either attraction to family or because of job markets or whatnot. Ordinary people like you and me sharing an extraordinary message. And lives have never been the same. And this is where I want us to meditate on today. This main idea, which is basically one sentence that will be unpacked throughout the entire time. And here's the sentence. By ordinary people, 
through His extraordinary Word, God grows His church to see grace, to mature through the gifts, and to be filled to overflowing with merciful generosity. We're going to unpack this. The sentence will be up there regularly. But we're just going to go piece by piece by piece. And watch how this text begins to explain and and show this sentence to be true. By ordinary people, through His extraordinary Word, God grows His church to see grace, to mature through the gifts, and to be filled to overflowing with merciful generosity. So let's begin. Verses 19 and through 21 is where we find this first main idea. By ordinary people, through His extraordinary Word, God grows His church. Now, we got to understand, just like any good story, and this is a true story, of course, story of history, a story of many of our forefathers. If you're believers, you see kind of your forefathers' story, forefathers of faith. But as you read this, this is a book, and this doesn't just come to us out of nowhere. There's this expectation that was crafted in our hearts in the very beginning. Acts chapter 1, verse 8 Jesus tells the people as they're waiting for the Holy Spirit to come and fall upon the people, He tells them, you are going to be my witnesses. That's going to be your identity. A witness. A missionary. One who takes the good news. You'll be my witnesses from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And now the book of Acts just shows how that promise is being unfolded Chapter after chapter after chapter. Such that when we come to Acts chapter 7, we see the gospel goes from Jerusalem to Samaria. Because in Acts chapter 6, 7, and 8, all of a sudden you see Stephen, a man full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, this Beautiful example of how God has changed life. He gets and He speaks a powerful word. And the the religious Jews, those who were ruling of the day, they hated it and they killed Him. And it led to this persecution of the church that sent people scattered all throughout the region. And that's what verse 19 is reminding us of. Verse 19 says, Now those who were scattered... Because of the persecution, it's throwing us back to Acts chapter 8, verses 1 and verse 4. That this church was strong in Jerusalem, and yet because of the persecution, they've been scattered. And they were scattered, Acts chapter 7, to Samaria. They were scattered, Acts chapter 9, to Judea. And now we see them scattered into areas um, beyond Judea, to an area called Syria. And we begin to see, as we saw last week, that the gospel is beginning to grow to the ends of the earth. And so we see where they travel to. They travel as far, verse 19, they travel as far as Phoenicia, which is present-day Lebanon, so we're still Middle East area, Cyprus, which is an island in the Mediterranean Sea about 100 miles off the coast, and then you see Antioch. Antioch was the third largest city in the Roman Empire. Only Rome and Alexandria outpopulated it, and there was about a half a million people in Antioch. And Antioch was sat on a river, and it was a great place for commerce and trade. And so, many people went there, even these persecuted Christians went there, because they needed to get a job. And it was these ordinary people, 
searching for a job, find themselves in Phoenicia, Cyprus, and in Antioch. And what do they do? It says here that they speak the word to no one except the Jews. As following the example of Jesus, he began to speak the word to the Jews. The Jews began to reject it, and so the gospel said that it was going. Jesus said the gospel was going to go beyond this to all the peoples, all the ethne of the land, going to go to the ends of the earth. But there were some who weren't content to just speak it to the Jews. They were men, it says verse 20, of Cyprus and Cyrene, and who on coming to Antioch, they spoke to the Hellenists. Now, every time I read this word Hellenist, I get confused personally. So maybe you do too, and I'm hoping to alleviate some of the confusion. The Hellenists were Greek speakers, okay? Roman Empire was prominent then. Greek was the primary language. Hellenist meant Greek speaker. Previously in Acts, it meant Greek-speaking Jewish Christian. Another place in Acts, Acts chapter 9, it meant Greek-speaking Jewish non-Christian. And here, by context, we know that it means Greek-speaking Gentile, non-Jew, pagan. And we get that because of the contrast laid against each other in verses 19 and 20. Verse 19, they spoke to no one except Jews. But, contrast, there were some men, probably Hellenistic Jews, that was Greek-speaking Jews, who knew the language, and they go to these Hellenists, that is Greek-speaking non-Jews, Gentiles, and they preach the Lord Jesus. And what happens? What happens? Verse 21. The hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. What is beautiful here, and I can't say it enough, unnamed, ordinary people, through God's extraordinary Word, planted this church. Some of us believe The real super spiritual ones are those missionaries we send overseas or those church planters we send to. We've got one in Dayton. I'm going to send one to Chicago, Lord willing, here soon. But those are the real spiritual ones. And so if I were really spiritual, I would be doing something like that. But what you see here is people understood what Jesus said in Acts 1.8. You're not a missionary because of location. You're a missionary because of identity. What's that mean? It means when Jesus changes your life, you were His enemy and you were far from Him. And when He changes you, you are now made a child. You are now accepted and He is your Father and fully for you. Always love towards you. And He has brought you in. You were orphaned and now you're brought into His family. That's your identity. You're a child. Identity. In His family. Identity. You are also a servant. That's not an action. That's an identity. Jesus came not to be served, but to serve and to give His life as a ransom for many. He was by His DNA a servant. And when we're saved, that's who we are. We serve. And by our DNA, changed by Jesus, We are those who not only 
soak up the Lord, but we give Him away. We're missionaries. That means we are meant to learn from this pattern that God delights when accountants and teachers and educators and painters and managers and bank workers and stay-at-home moms see themselves as missionaries. And cities are changed. We all need to be commissioned because we are all missionaries. We are all commissioned, whether we're students or whether we're stay-at-home moms or whether we are CEOs, no matter what our position is in society, we all have this one job description because it's who we are. We're witnesses. We're missionaries. And it's beautiful. That God would choose to plant this church in Antioch using people who moved there for family and they were just working hard and they couldn't hold it in. They just spoke the Word. Proclaiming Jesus. This is our privilege. This is who we get to be. But what is beautiful is that it's not... The reason ordinary people can be used is because we... Take an ex- we have an extraordinary Jesus who has given us an extraordinary word. What did they speak? It doesn't say they spoke common philosophies of the day. They didn't just speak good ideas. It says in verse 19, they spoke the word. The word is actually standing off the page in the book of Acts as almost a character in and of itself. It does so much action in the book of Acts that it is a central character. The word, word, is used over 20 times in the book of Acts. Which, if you're charting how common words are, other than like the Spirit of God, it's at the top of the list. And the Spirit of God uses the Word of God to do amazing things through you and me. Ordinary. And that's what we see. They spoke the Word. They proclaimed Jesus Christ, who is the hero of the Word. They're proclaiming the Word. When you see sermons throughout the book of Acts, they're preaching the Word. You have the Word of God changing hearts. Last night we were sitting down on the couch and my son, one of my sons came to me and all of a sudden he said, Daddy, do you know what the book of James says about the tongue? Okay, first of all, I was caught off guard. This doesn't happen every day, okay? Don't think this is like, oh, that's what happens in the pastor's home. You know, that's all they talk. No. (laughs) Extraordinary. Just as it would be in yours, it was extraordinary in mine. Dad, you know what the book of James says about the tongue? I was like, where's this coming from, buddy? Well, you know, Ryan Bell was teaching us in our youth time that we have on Sunday mornings every other time. And he said, Ryan was teaching us in our youth from the book of James about chapter 3 and about how dangerous the tongue is. And he said, Daddy, have you ever heard this? Let me just read it. I mean, he didn't even give me a chance to answer. He just said, let me just read it. And so he just starts plowing through James chapter 3. And about 
how dangerous the tongue is and about how something so small like a spark can set a whole forest ablaze and how a little rudder on a ship can turn a whole ship. And he is saying the tongue is said it can't be tamed. It's dangerous. He says animals can be tamed, but the tongue can't be tamed. And he was like, Dad, I never realized this, of how dangerous my tongue is. And I was like, yes, he's getting it. But no, I didn't, because I was really so caught off guard. There was this sense of, yes, my tongue. My tongue is that dangerous. And he just began to talk. And what was beautiful, hey, for technology and all of its potential vices, he has an app on his little iPod. And you touch it and it gives him tons of cross-references. And he can touch it and it gives him more cross-references. So he's going, hey, look at what Proverbs says. And look at what this says. And all of a sudden we're all over the Bible learning about the tongue. And he was just like, Daddy, this has helped me so much. Thanks. I didn't say a word. This has helped me so much. Thanks for the time, Dad. And I was like, thank you, son. It was good. It was good to just... I mean, we went like for like 40 minutes. I mean, like, we've never done this. But it just reminded me of the beauty and the power of the Word of God. That it hit his heart. And he knew that his tongue was a dangerous thing. So we talked... How is the tongue tamed? Because the Bible here says it can never be tamed. That's right. It can't be tamed unless the Spirit of God comes in and changes the heart. And it is His power and His power alone that can tame this dangerous tongue. And to see that God is at work. And let's just follow the track, right? The Word of God shared through Ryan helped his heart. He read the Word and was so excited about it, he shared it with me. And now I share the Word with you. And I know at least one person is going to be helped in thinking about how dangerous the tongue is and how we can use it to build up by the power of Jesus rather than to tear down. And you're going to be changed. And you're going to share it with one other person. Or you're going to study it yourself. And you see the ripple effects. And all of a sudden, a church is planted in Antioch. They spoke the Word. And the Word didn't lay dormant. The Lord was with them. The Lord took His Word and it hit heart after heart after heart after heart. And all of a sudden, a great number were added because they couldn't keep it inside. That's how ordinary people are used. Because we have an extraordinary Jesus who's made Himself known to us in His extraordinary Word. That's what we take to our dear friends. And that's how God grows His church. He grows His church. A great number believed and turned to the Lord, it says in verse 21. That is, repentance and faith being described. Believed is faith. Turned to the Lord is repentance. For all of you in here that are not followers of Jesus, or you've done the religious thing all your life, you've gone to church, but you don't have a relationship with Him, the understanding that you cannot do for God and then be accepted, but you realize you can do nothing and He has done everything, and now you trust in His work. You trust in His death on your behalf. All your sin placed upon the shoulders of Jesus. He took our punishment so that we are sheltered from it. So that we might have a relationship with Him on this earth and be with Him forever. We have to trust in His sacrifice and turn from our sin and say, Jesus is better. That's salvation. 
And it's open to anyone, anyone who says, I cannot change myself. I need Jesus' death in my place. That is the cry of every human heart deep down, but they don't articulate it because we suppress the truth and we turn away from these things. And the call right now is don't turn away. Come to Him. All who are weary and heavy laden, He will give you rest. He will set you free. He will change you. It's not your attendance. It's not your giving. It's not your family's track record. It's not how good you are throughout the week. It is do you see that Jesus is your everything. That's salvation. And it can be for you, just as it was here. The hand of the Lord is with us this morning. He promises to be with us. And we pray that many would believe and turn from their sin. But now we begin to see something unfold. Verse 22 through 24 shows us this second main idea that by ordinary people through His extraordinary Word, God grows His church and now they grow His church to do certain things. To see grace is what we're going to see right here. Verse 22 through 24. Now the report of this, verse 22, the report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem. And they sent Barnabas to Antioch. Now, before we move forward, I want us to make sure we highlight this understanding of the word church here. Church is used to describe, and it's, it's a unique use in the book of Acts, meaning it's only occurred one other time, that this church means the gathering of believers in Jerusalem. So now church is being defined by a geographical entity. Because when you go to verse 26... This group of new believers that have just been stoked in their fire for Jesus, they're now called the church. I'll show it to you, verse 26. For a whole year they met with the church and taught a great many people. What's important about this is the two things. One is that it is right and good as the gospel spreads to talk about local Entities of believers as different churches. Treasuring Christ Church and Vintage 21 Church and Vision Church and Imago Dei Church and Christ the King Church. These churches in our city that we love and hold dear and many others that I could have listed. These are wonderful expressions where people are committing themselves together in common vision and values to extend their lives to reach a people and to also work together, which is why we are in church planting networks and I regularly meet with other pastors because our churches work together to advance the gospel in our cities. But it's, pro- it's appropriate to say Treasuring Christ Church is a church that individuals should be a part of so that we know who to love and we have a direction. We're submitting to certain elders and leadership and we're all going as a family together. It's the church, a gathered group of people that we are committed to. But also, what it does is really interesting. The church of Jerusalem is basically, I mean, these are the people that experienced, you know, Pentecost, the coming of the Holy Spirit in power. They've been walking with Jesus. They've seen almost about 10,000 people come to faith in Jesus by this point. And now you have this little old tiny church, the church of Antioch, that now has grown to this great number of brand new believers. So you have the mature Jerusalem church And this church are brand new believers, and they're both given the same title of church. Both equally important in the sight of God. 
temptation might be from new believers to think, well, I really don't measure up to all those really mature ones. And you begin to feel insecure and exclude yourself. I don't know what they know. That's not how God looks at you. The same God is at work in you as is at work in these believers and new believers. And we need one another. And those who are mature might be tempted to think and look down on those who aren't as advanced. And the Scriptures lay out that both of these are churches. Equal in dignity and significance. It's the church. New believers, more mature believers, we're all in this together. So there's no room for classism, even when it comes to spirituality. But what we begin to see here is that the church grows, God grows His church, Now to see grace. And Barnabas is an example of this. So, just like what happened when the gospel went to the Gentiles and Peter was called upon to kind of come and to verify this, so now as the gospel comes, Peter is called upon to verify, or Barnabas is called upon to kind of verify that the gospel is at work in Antioch. And we look at verse 23. Now when Barnabas came... And saw the grace of God, he was glad or filled with joy. And then he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. Because he was a good man. Now what does a good man mean? He's going to further define that for us. That means he was full of the Holy Spirit. And of faith. That's what a a good man is. And as you're full of the Holy Spirit and of faith, you exhort others. That's what happens. And a great many people were added to the Lord. What is beautiful and interesting and helpful to see here is that Barnabas came to these people and he saw grace. Now, how do you see what you can't touch. It's like wind. You know, you can't see it or grab onto it, but you see its effects. And this is exactly what Barnabas is doing. He's showing up and all of a sudden this grace, that is God's unmerited work in the life of these people was visible. And when your life is changed, all of a sudden you begin to see differently. You begin to actually see how these aren't just coincidences. These aren't just accidents. It's not just luck. It's God moving. And God as is at work. And that's what was happening with Barnabas. That's what was happening with Barnabas. Is that the people of God were changed. And he was able to see the grace of God in the church's life. Now, you might ask the question, how do I get to see that? Because many of us, we struggle. We struggle, especially when trial and pain are before us. All we can really see is our marriage problem, our financial woes, the fact that this person won't talk to me or this person is treating me poorly, sickness or physical suffering and pain, whatever it is, these are right here. And it's really hard to see anything else. And so I'm asking the question, how do I get to see grace? That is, through the difficulty, I'm actually able to see how God is at work. How do I do that? Well, I think we get a few pointers here from verse 23. Verse 23, what did he do? 
First of all, he went to the people. He went to the people. And then what did he do? He observed. He looked around. He intentionally took steps to get in the lives of others. And then he intentionally set out to see where God is at work. That was his aim. Part of us will begin to experience seeing the grace of God when we also get outside of our lives and we go to others and we look into their lives or listen to their lives. And we love them. And in so doing, I believe you'll be able to see. You'll grow in seeing grace. When you begin to see the lives of other people. And you begin to experience some of their pain. And then God allows us to go through certain trials in and of ourselves where as we go through it, we are forced to reckon with where is God in the midst of this pain? Where is God in the midst of this trial? And you get to see Him better. Personally, in my life, there's been a... a, In this church, too, there's been a major season of a lot of people relocating. That is, being up and moved because of certain situations, or having home remodeling, or getting a new house, or moving here and there. And as people would share that with me, I could imagine at least a little bit of of the difficulty that that is. Um, But, you know, it meant, let's say this much to me of what they were going through. And now, I'm moving myself. And now, I begin to see, huh, you know, when you relocate and move, there's a lot of temptation for anxiety. There's like, you're dealing in numbers that you never deal in. And you're having to think about your finances in some really intense ways. And you're asking, will the Lord provide for me here? And then you're trying to think about the, the whole moving scenario. Okay, well, can we really close on this house at a certain time? And can we get into another house? Or will we find another place to rent or whatnot? And you're just constantly thinking through. And then if you're moving homes, you're trying to work out the closing of one house. And then can you not have to move twice? And then if you have to move twice, then you have to figure out, oh, where can I live for this season while I'm in the in-between? And all of a sudden, it's like anxiety, anxiety, anxiety. You just experience all kinds of stuff. And then with my family, we found a place to live in. And God in His providence, that somebody was gone um, and allows us to use their place. They're gone the exact days that we have this transition. It's a 700 square foot apartment. We have six people. You know, we bring a small nation wherever we go. And so we're landing in this 700 square foot apartment. And we're, we're learning how to work through all that together. And still be at peace. And it's worked great. I mean, God's been really kind. But... All I'm saying is when we went through this experience, I now promise you that my compassion and therefore my ability to see how God's grace sustains you is going to go from this amount to this amount because of some of the the trial, some of the difficulty, some of the inconvenience that I've gone through. And friends, that's what's meant to happen in your life. 
Some of the struggles that you go through are designed by the Lord so that you might be able to actually not only see the grace of God more in your life, but also see the grace of God more in that other person's life. But they didn't give up on faith when they went through this trial. What does it mean to see the grace of God? Did you have any inclination, let's say 30 seconds this week, to open your Bible? That's grace. Did you have any time when you just felt like you had to stop and to pray? That's grace. Did you have any time when you had an inclination to really serve somebody and love somebody? That's grace. Was there ever time when you held your tongue and you didn't spout off in anger? Was there ever time when you were anxious and you took it to the Lord and you fought against it? Was there ever a time when you were aware of God and thankful for His presence in your life? Grace, grace, grace. And I'm not talking you've got to have them all. I'm just saying one of them is grace. But what you'll begin to do is you'll begin to see it. When you're looking for it, you will see it. And friends, when you see it, the result that happened to Barnabas is what will happen in our lives. Great joy will come. Because you're all of a sudden beginning to look for where God is at work and you see it. And it excites you. It encourages you. It stirs you up. And so we need to see grace. When God grows His people... He grows them to see grace. He grows them to see grace. And then, as Barnabas saw grace, he then exhorted them. And he said, Remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. And I believe with all of my heart that this time right here, songs, prayer, Lord's Supper, sermon, whatever it is, that God is going to use something in someone's life today where they were tempted to throw in the towel and give up. And now they're going to say, God is awake. God is alive. He didn't fumble the ball. He's with me right now. I'm going to keep going. And that's what is meant to happen. When you see grace, we're also meant to encourage one another. As it says here, remain faithful to the Lord. Don't quit. Don't quit. He is faithful to you. Don't quit. Remain steadfast in purpose. Be that missionary. Be that servant. Embrace being in His family. And that you are accepted as His loved child. And so friends... By ordinary people, through His extraordinary Word, God grows His church to see grace, but also to mature through the gifts. And we begin to see this in verses 25 through 26. So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. And for a whole year they met with the church and taught a great many people. So Barnabas goes, and we, don't, we aren't told why. Does he go because he feels inadequate? Does he go because he knows the group is so big he needs another partner? Um, does, he grow, does he go because he knows that Saul needs to grow and experience and develop as a teacher? Whatever it is, we're not told. But what is being established here is a regular pattern of going in twos. Not doing this thing alone. And so Barnabas and Saul, together, gifted by the Holy Spirit to teach, they spend time with these ordinary people who work jobs, and in their off time, they gather together to learn 
from the Word of God. Just like in Acts chapter 2, when they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, that's exactly what was happening here. For one whole year, it was worth Barnabas and Saul committing their lives to Antioch. And the beautiful thing is, it is the church of Jerusalem and the church of Antioch that become these church planting, missionary sending hubs of the early church. And so they spent this time pouring into these believers, these new believers, and the result is they become sending machines. And they send people out and plant churches regularly. But for a whole year they met with the church and taught a great many people. Because teaching the Word of God must be a primary diet of the people of God. And that's why we do what we do. That's why the Word of God is central to what we do here on Sundays, but it goes way beyond that. That's why we had a women's seminar where we taught on patience and we talked to each other about God's Word around patience. And that's why we have 22 men that went away on a camping retreat to learn just what God's Word says, at least in part, on manhood. And we're hoping to extend that over these next six to eight weeks. And you'll hear more about that soon. That's why we also have increase classes, which are Classes where people can grow, and we do them periodically throughout the year, people can grow in the knowledge of the Scriptures. That's why we do a leadership development class called Emerge, where we have 12 guys right now, every other Tuesday for a year, committing themselves to grow in the Scriptures. Teaching the Word of God is important, but it cannot and never does it in the book of Acts stop there. It's always teaching and doing. It's always example and modeling. It's always teaching and going. And that's what we begin to see. It's the taught Word that so overcomes the heart that when a need arises later on, it will see in verse 29, and there was a need among the people of Judea, the church rallied around. And all they had to be done was shown a need. And they were merciful and generous. And they poured out their resources for others. It is not something that is meant to just get here. We've missed the boat if it's only in our head. It's head and heart and hands. That is the gospel's effect on people. We must know Him, that we love Him, and give Him away. But we must know Him. And we cannot minimize that. We must know the Word of God. And what is really interesting here is that it was these new believers who hungered and sat for a year to grow in the Word of God. It was this week I went and I spent time with this new believer. We just did lunch together and I just wanted to hear from his, from his life. I'd met him here on a Sunday and, and uh, he just began to share his story with me. I just listened for most of the time. But friends, the church will die if it doesn't have a regular influence of new believers. It is that new faith that is exciting and beautiful to behold. I was sitting there and he was just like, man, when God, you know, he said, I was just reading the Bible And I saw the example of somebody else and I so much wanted their faith that 
I went to the passage that they were reading and I just read it myself and I said, God, I want a relationship like that with you. Would you change me? And he said, it's been amazing. I just can't get enough of God's Word. I'm just reading it all the time, sometimes neglecting even things that I need to be doing. I'm just reading the Word. And then he asked me this question, does the hunger ever go away? Just the fact that he has to ask that is beautiful. And we're able to say, yeah, sometimes, you know, trials come and you're tempted to question if God is good and if He's there with you. But I promise you, the hunger is continued as you feed it. As you continue to be in the Word, the hunger will grow. And it will conquer some of those troughs. And your hunger will go like this right here. But we're praising God right now that you're hungry. Some of you don't know what it's like to hunger because you've never been changed. Surrender your life to Jesus and watch desires begin to turn over. And you'll begin to want to know Him. He continued to share his story with me and he said, You know, I just went and I've got a, all my friends are unbelievers and I just went and told them what happened in my life. You know, I mean, it's just what you do. It's like, okay, what did you do last night over here? And he's, I went, you know, I watched the Duke Carolina game. What did you do? Well, God changed me just a few days ago and that was pretty amazing. Can I tell you about it? You know, it just, it wasn't fear. It wasn't intimidation. It's just like, it's what I share with my friends. It's what happened in my heart. And what a joy it would be to have unbelieving friends that we get to know, that we would have that kind of relationship with. They tell us about their business deal. and I, You talk about what's going on at your work, and they tell you about something in their life, and you tell them about when God has changed your life. It's just, it's beautiful because he was beginning, and then he asked, he was like, but what do I do when these people, my, my unbelieving friends, when they don't um, really, when they do things that I don't really like, and all of a sudden now they're doing things that I don't feel very comfortable with. And it's just, it's wonderful to see these questions come up. And frankly, it's refreshing because many of you are asking similar questions, but you're too afraid to ask it because you feel like you're in the mature camp and you can't ask questions. Hogwash. We need to be question askers. We need to be humble to talk to one another. And he said, you know, before I was turned to, Je- turned to Jesus, I really was, I just, I tried to handle everything on my own. And just the fact that I'm sharing with you right now, he said, is just an amazing thing. Because I realize how much I need other people. It's the Spirit of God at work. And that's what was happening. These new believers, so hungry, set themselves under the Word of God. But it wasn't only new believers. There was something else that was remarkable. And look at verse, the end of verse 26. And it says, In Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. Do you know why? Because in the Roman Empire, it was clear. These are the Jews. These are the Gentiles. They don't like each other. They have the different religious kind of goings on. But now what is happening is you have rich and poor together, Jews and Gentiles all together, and they have no idea what to call this group of people that are loving each other and loving the Roman Empire. They don't know what to do with them. So they create a third race. They create a third category because they don't know what to do. It's those who follow Jesus. That's the category. The little Christs, Christians. They had to be called something because they were so remarkably out of step with that culture. It was 
a multi-ethnic, multi-economic group of people that loved Jesus with their heart and gave Him away to others. What do you call them? We'll call them little Jesuses since I like Him so much. It's this sense of, it is meant, Jesus is not content with the church staying among one group of people. And He shines really brightly when the church begins to have diversity related in harmony. When blacks and whites and Hispanics and Asians, we come together under one umbrella called Jesus and we worship together and we learn one another's cultures and we work through differences, but we don't split up because of those differences. We're unified under the cause of Jesus and the cause of love and we go out together. What are they going to call us? Christian has been so watered down in the southern culture that it means very little today. But in this text, it meant something. It meant they stood out so remarkably that we've got to call them something else because we don't have a word for it. They're little Jesuses, little Christs. Oh, friends, that we would stand out that remarkably, both in our who we are as a people and how we love as a people. And so, by ordinary people... Through God's extraordinary Word, God grew His church to see grace and to mature through the gifts. Not only the gift of teaching, the reason gifts plural is that we actually see another gift exercise in verse 27. Now in these days, prophets came down from Jerusalem. First time the word prophets is used this way, it's used in the plural and they come down, and this is what is beginning to be seen throughout the New Testament. Old Testament prophecy was if you said a wrong word, you'd be stoned and killed. This kind of prophet was in the same vein. They said words of warning and rebuke. They said words of comfort and consolation. There were even times when it was a word of prediction, but it was, and here's one definition of prophecy in the New Testament, spirit-prompted, spirit-sustained, word-rooted, Rooted in the Word, but it's fallible speech and it has to be tested. Sometimes it's right, sometimes it's wrong. Here in this case, it's not wrong and it is predictive in manner, but that's not what you see regularly throughout the um, New Testament version of prophecy as you look at it in 1 Corinthians, etc. It can be words of encouragement and words of consolation. Words that accord with Scripture that build up. And we encourage people, if God presses something on your heart, that you might come to one of us pastors and just say, God, I feel like it's put this verse on my heart. I'd like to share it right now. Or this is something we can discern if this is the right time or whatnot. But I tell you, the Lord did that in my heart last week. And I, I look back on it and I think in the first service it was probably from the Lord. And I didn't follow it. We were singing a song, God of this city. And I knew where the text was going. Travis was preaching. And I knew that it was going to be a text on the gospel extending to the nations. And my heart was just burdened that God does work, not only among the nations, but He is at work to save people right here in this city. And what came to my mind was, I should go up there and I should just encourage people, get one name in your mind. One name in your mind. That God might use you to take the gospel to and work in their lives. Because our God is at work in this city. And He wants to use you. And you know what? 
I did nothing with it. Here's what the self-talk was. Sean, you talk all the time. They hear you all the time. They don't need to hear you again. It was, Travis is preaching. He's got a great word. It's going to be fine. It was, is this really from you, Lord? I don't know. Well, I don't think the devil, you know, in hindsight, I don't think the devil really wants you to be praying for people to come to faith in Jesus. But, you know, that's, that was hindsight, not right in the moment. So, the moral of the story, don't follow my example in that. But maybe be sensitive to the Spirit of God. That if He places a scripture on your heart and you really get a sense that this was meant to be shared for the larger group, then maybe that is from the Lord. Maybe there is a testimony that the people of God need to hear. Ben and I have already worked it out. You come to me, you come to Travis or Paul, we can give Ben the wink, the look. He'll know to keep playing and we'll, we'll have you come right up. It won't be able to happen every time and we're going to have to discern um, over time of what would be appropriate to share when. But we need the people of God to share when the Spirit of God stirs in their heart. And that's what happened here with Agabus. Agabus was stirred, and it says in verse 28, he stood up. It means the church was gathered. Probably he stood up in the midst of the church, and he foretold by the Spirit that there would be a great famine over all the world. And what that means is not the entire world like the globe, but probably the Roman Empire. And that's exactly what took place. The parenthesis to let you know it did come to pass. It took place days of Claudius. And so, they had to do something with it. As the famine came, probably 47 A.D., because of a lack of resources in Egypt, they had a lack of crops and there was some drought going on. What was the church going to do for their brothers where there was drought? And the Spirit of God that they were taught by now stirred in their heart to live it out. And it says in the text... So the disciples determined everyone according to his own ability. Some gave small, the widow's might, small piece of change. Others gave more. It wasn't about the amount. It was about the Spirit of God stirring in the people of God to be generous with what He had given them. Generosity is incumbent upon every single follower of Jesus. And yet, it is something that you press into, you and the Lord. I encourage you to ask others for accountability or, or to insight. But generosity to meet the needs of these brothers that were hurting and living in Judea. This was the final phrase of our sentence where God filled them with overflowing, merciful generosity. That's what He did. And as we are going to be constantly calling. There are multiple opportunities for us to serve and to pour our lives into people and there will be an opportunity on May 4th which we've talked about some that we're hoping to try to grow this Loving the City Center idea and we're going to try to raise up some funds to make that happen so we can further uh, be a, a blessing to this community. It's going to take hearts of merciful generosity. So next week, Pastor Paul is going to come and he's going to preach. We're going to take a break from the book of Acts and he's going to preach on how to cultivate mercy and what mercy looks like and how we can be a generous people. Why that's what we need to do. But friends, I want you to know, God uses ordinary people to do extraordinary things. And He is growing us as a people. 
that we might overflow in mercy and love to the people that are near us, that others might be changed and we might be as a community of love together. Let me pray. Father, I thank you for your grace and your kindness. And I just ask, I ask that right now you would pour out your spirit in great measure as we go to the Lord's Supper. That God, there's something that you have stirred in our hearts. Something you have stirred in our hearts. And I ask that you would make that clear. And that we wouldn't bear that burden on our own, but as we go to the Lord's Supper, we would remember Christ died and He rose from the dead that we might be changed and have hope. We might be strengthened where we're weak. And so, Father, I ask, as we come to the Lord's Supper, that we would remember Your great and amazing love for us. And that, God, you would press in on our hearts how that love should affect our lives. Lord, we ask that you would create more new believers in this congregation. We pray that you would continue to diversify us racially and economically. We pray that together we would see it as our identity to be missionaries used by your Holy Spirit to do amazing things through what some might say is an ordinary job. May we not see it that way anymore. Father, may we grow close to you in this time, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.